0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever podcast episode of Collectible Chaos. I'm Macandall Richardson. Thank you so much for joining me for this new adventure, uh, taking my top 10 lists into uh, an audio-only kind of form, a bit of an expanded version of the usual video format that we've been doing the past couple of years. I've just kind of decided to change things up and try new things and see how, you know, a bit of the non-scripted rambling side of my my work uh, kind of collide with collectible chaos a bit more and, and hopefully bear some wonderful fruit for you guys that have been uh, watching Collectible Chaos and listening to maybe me on Fred the Alien um, Productions' podcasts, such as a podcast called Fred and the Monthly at Winifreds, and if you've been watching my non-scripted rambling series, there's also that, so there's lots of me to go around, and this is a good way of kind of, I don't know, I guess, bringing a bit more of, you know, my insight into everything i talk about when i talk about my top 10 you know every collectible chaos video that i do i you know every time i sit down and i write a script for that i kind of you know sometimes i find myself writing a bit too much (laughs) uh and that was you know that was something obvious earlier early on because I've just got so much to say. I have so much, you know, in case it's not obvious, I have so much love for so much of the the movies, well, just everything in general, everything, movie, TV, actors, uh, singers, you know, everybody um, that I celebrate uh, as part of the Collectible Chaos series. I just have so much to say, uh, more than what I want to express in uh, just a five to ten minute window of a video. And yeah I I think yeah this is going to be a lot of fun. It's just going to be me talking. I mean maybe down the track there'll be, you know, who knows, there'll be guest hosts maybe. We'll see what happens, but for now it's just going to be me and and my voice. So if you you're on board with that, then uh let's get to it. So uh 2019 was an incredible year for film. Very very <laughs> very happy looking back. My list of everything I wrote down a massive list of every single probably every single film I may have forgotten a few um because it was such a big year and I went to the movies a lot I wrote down a massive list that was probably thirty or forty films just or maybe I'm exaggerating but it just it was long and so narrowing it down to just 10 that I wanted to talk about um, on this episode and in the video version of the episode was very tricky, especially ordering them. That was the tricky part. I mean, I knew going in to recording this and to making, actually writing out the list what my top three were, that was easy, but figuring out everything else and then figuring out my honorable mentions was very tricky because, you know, I would remember certain films that I was like, oh crap, I need to mention that because that was really good um, during the year. Uh so, and I, you know, I don't really like leaving things out. Um, so I'll probably even, Honorable Mentions may even get extended in in the podcast version just because I have so much, again, so much to say. But, you know, I won't go too deep into them because, you know, they are only Honorable Mentions. They just deserve a little, a little bow, a little nod, a little bit of applause. But the main the main beast, the main topic, the main focus is my ten films that I picked for my favorites. So uh shall we get in to this? I think. Alright, cool. So we're gonna start with number ten, which was a film I only saw recently. And that is Jojo Rabbit directed by Taika Waititi, a wonderful as we all know New Zealand filmmaker and writer and actor. This was an incredible film that I adored and I didn't I didn't know what to expect like well in terms of when I say that I should really say I, I <laughs> the movie was not what I expected. And generally, when that kind of feeling happens, it's not really a good thing because you kind of, you know, you watch trailers or you you hear things from other people and you come in with these preconceived notions of what you're, you know, what kind of movie you're walking into. You know, for example, Downsizing. I still haven't gotten over the fact that Downsizing was nothing like what it was advertised as, but, you know, it was interesting nonetheless. But uh, however, it works in Jojo Rabbit's favor, the fact that it went in a direction I didn't expect. Yeah, the movie starts out, obviously, with, you know, uh, Taika Waititi's brand of humour that is just superb and we love, you know, the whole world seems to really be uh, vibing with him and his hilarity. I adore the fact that as a Jewish man, Taika Waititi was playing Hitler in this film as Jojo's imaginary friend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so, so good, I, uh, oh my god, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just brilliant, the, f- the fact that he was just like, what better F you to the guy, uh, to have a Jewish man playing him in a film, uh, it's absolutely brilliant, and it works so well throughout the entire film, Tyker is so much fun, he does kind of, like the film itself, he does kind of tread the line of, um, you know where the satire stops and the realism kind of kicks in uh where it goes from comedy to drama just the way he kind of emotes certain things and gets points across that Hitler's you know advice he's trying to give to Jojo about what to do because Jojo played excellently uh by Roman Griffin Davis um in uh what is definitely a breakout performance he was nominated for a golden globe this young this young and very talented actor. Uh, I'm looking forward very much to see what else he does. It's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be great. But yeah, so he's so you know Jojo is is seeing Hitler and he's because he's one of the in the Hitler Youth and he you know I just I, yeah so it's it's I mean I'm I'm gonna ramble a bit not probably not make sense sorry but um <laughs> yeah it's it's really good. Because, you know, you think the whole movie you think is just going to be about him doing this Hitler Youth training program with all these other kids, you know, to prepare them for, you know, whatever part of World War Two might be coming their way or, you know, just building the propaganda machine that was, you know, Nazi Germany. And, you know, things don't really work out that way that, you know, Jojo ends up. Uh, out of that kind of program you know because of a a certain accident happens in hilarious fashion it's just wonderful Um, so funny but um, he ends up basically at home um, with his mum played by Scarlett Johansson in a now Oscar nominated performance uh, which I'm very very happy (laughs) she got nominated because she is wonderful in this film she is very very good so she's playing Jojo's mother Rosie and uh it turns out she's actually part of the resistance you know she doesn't you know she doesn't believe in what Hitler stands for what the Nazis stand for and she sees that they're bad for Germany bad for Europe and the world um so there are a few in in Germany where they are it's never strictly said what city they're they're in or what town they're in and I don't think that matters but basically she um yeah she's part of the resistance and it's the things she does, like the fact that she hi- she hides a Jew in the house. Her name is Elsa, played by Thomasa McKenzie. And I've never he- really uh, heard of this actress, but she's brilliant as well and gives a fantastic performance. And just, oh, I just love, I've seen so many. I love the, you know, World War Two as a means of storytelling, as a means of making us, you know, not forget this part of history. It's very important that we don't repeat any of this awfulness um, from World War Two. But I just love this, the films, as a result, and you know the literature, everything behind like that's on that side of the fallout of World War Two, has been just remarkable and groundbreaking and just completely moving. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't think Jojo Rabbit was going to make me cry, and it did. Um, I, I cried. It was wonderful. Taika is such a great director. The things he does in this film be, you know, behind behind the camera, not in front of it, are just as good. Really. Yeah, absolutely brilliant and you will yeah you you'll definitely feel emotions but you'll you'll mostly just laugh um because you know some of it's just so ridiculous Sam Rockwell's in the film as well he plays Captain Klensendorf um who's just this disenchanted kind of uh Nazi soldier the you know Nazi captain that just wants to be in the war but he can't due to injuries and all of that but um his the part he plays was also unexpected by the time the credits rolled and I adored it as well. Uh, Finkel, his little buddy, Alfie Allen was played by Alfie Allen was also very good. And Steve Merchant was brilliant as, as a when I mean, just this one scene where he played a um, a Gestapo officer named Diertz I believe Diertz and another star, standout performer would have to be uh, Archie Yates, who played Jojo's best friend Yorkie. A lot of the comedic relief in the film, if it's not coming from from either Jojo or um, Hitler himself, it's from it's from Yorkie. He is outstanding. Yeah. Very, very, very good film. Well shot, well put together, well scripted, uh, adapted from a novel as well. Yeah, I just, I fell in love with this movie and everyone needs to see it. So those are my thoughts on Jojo Rabbit. My 10th out of my, well, the first first film in my top 10 list, I should say. First film, here we go. All right, done. now we're on to number nine. Number nine would be Ford versus Ferrari. This is based on a true story, and I'd never really I'd never heard about this ever. I myself am not really that into cars or you know you know motor racing uh any of that kind of stuff. I can understand the appeal and you know i on the occasion have watched you know Formula One or Bathurst or growing up um but yeah, I've never really been to you know, passionate about it. But this film was so well done. James Mangold, who directed Logan, he directed Walk the Line, um, among other films. He's just brilliant. One of the best directors going around Hollywood today, for my money. Matt Damon plays Carroll Shelby. And he is... So he's a basically retired race car driver. And he ends up being in kind of, well enlisted i suppose by by ford who are kind of on the verge of collapse in the 60s and you know they they ask shelby you know how are we supposed to keep the ford brand alive keep this in business and he basically says we need to build a car that can compete with ferrari at le mans and that's what they do. And they also get, well, one of, well, one of Carol Shelby's friends and, com, you know, former competitors, Ken Miles, played to perfection by Christian Bale, um, as is no surprise. Ken Miles is this brilliant race car driver. He's basically like, you know, the car whisperer, if you will. He teams up with Shelby at Ford to help create this perfect race car that can actually hold you know hold up for for this 24-hour Le Mans race because it's a, yeah it's just this one circuit for 24 hours the same car and this is the 60s you know there weren't there were no Teslas back then not by a long shot so it's they were basically inventing new technology in you know just not only just to beat Ferrari but you know as a result you know uh, Ford you know remained as a you know big name in the car world and you know kept going on for you know years and years and years and years as we all, as we all know Ken Miles's character is just he's this wonderful <laughs> he's just wonderful man who's just he's got a bit of a hot temper uh very stubborn very set in his ways doesn't take crap from anyone and i uh, just <sighs> i mean yes there's some clichés in this story and uh, maybe there's some hollywood gloss in the overall you know presentation of the film just because you know we see a lot of stories where it's like you know his the big business is like wanting a certain things to be a certain way and things to be represented a certain way and Ken Miles does not represent what Ford is in Henry Ford II's opinion played by Tracy Letts he's very good I I enjoyed his performance as well yes but Ken Miles yeah just they didn't want Ford didn't want him representing their brand even if it meant that they were probably going to lose the race but you know I guess they got him to you know make the cast maybe they were just that cocky that uh, they could actually beat Ferrari at Le Mans yeah but it's it's just it's just a wonderful film it's it's long but you don't really feel the length and I just really enjoyed the fact that Uh, we spent this whole time kind of building up towards Le Mans the big race the 24-hour race and you know I was expecting it to be kind of over in like a 10-minute montage and no it took up pretty much the entire third act of the film and that was excellent it really was the just you know so many people I imagine that went into this movie because it's you know it's a true story there's no spoilers in this because well we know what we know what happened most people knew what happened i had no idea who ended up winning because as i said i don't really follow cars that closely and racing that closely uh but i was still with ken miles every step of the way every you know turn of the corner of the track it's just the way it was shot was just so it was just so well done and i yeah i adored I adored the movie quite a lot. It was very, very good. So, yeah, do yourselves a favor and check out Ford vs. Ferrari if you haven't already. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else I can say about the film. It's just, yeah, it's just a brilliant true story. And just to see, you know, these underdogs, you know, Ford, who are about to go out of business, just find a way to stay afloat and then actually beat Ferrari at Le Mans which was just, you know, unheard of at the time. And the fact that they got Enzo Ferrari himself to kind of, I'm pretty sure there was a shot at the end of the film where he kind of tips his hat or, you know, bows his head a little to kind of be like, yeah, all right. You've, you know, you've done, you've done well. You've shown me up all of that jazz. Um, there is a lot of emotion in the film because, you know, uh, something very sad does happen <laughs> at the end of the film. But I don't really want... I mean, I know I said it's it's all true. We all know what happens. Like, most people know what happens. No spoilers. But I don't really want to reveal that in the podcast. But, um, yeah. it's It's sad. But it's well... It's a well-made film and I I cannot wait to watch it again. So Ford versus Ferrari is my number nine for 2019. Okay, my eighth film for 2019, my eighth favorite film is Shazam. Um, Very happy to include this one on my list and I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. I was optimistic going into it. The trailers looked looked like they were a lot of fun yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be like his. You know, with DC films, the track record has not been entirely favorable, entirely great over the last few years. I mean, Wonder Woman is pretty good. It does have flaws, though. Uh, it's not a perfect film, but I do, I do enjoy it. It is good, and Aquaman as well is also a very good film. Better than I thought it was going to be too. But just kind of not up to snuff for where, you know, DCEU, like the quality of their film should be, in my opinion. And Shazam, I think, is the closest one out of the extended universe on the big screen that has kind of reached that mark of this is where we need to be. This is the kind of film uh, that our fans deserve, really that's kind of how I feel about it. Zachary Levi is just so much fun in the lead role of Shazam slash Billy Batson. Uh, He just embodies, he just does such a great job of playing a big kid, you know? I mean, probably not as well as Tom Hanks, for example, did in big, but you know, nevertheless, it's still, he just captures the childlike wonder and, innocence and mischief making of you know a kid who's getting away with being an adult essentially and then to boot he has superpowers. he can fly and he can you know he's really strong super speed all of that you know the usual stuff uh, that you know the powers that were given to him um, by the wizard named Shazam uh, <laughs> it's just yeah I don't know it's really really fun I really enjoyed Zachary Levi quite a bit uh, Billy Batson, uh, the kid form of Billy Batson, played by Asher Angel, was also very very good in the role. It's the first time I've seen him in anything and I look forward to his future performances as well. The story of Billy is a very, it's a very sad one because while Shazam is such a, a fun and it's a really good family film that everyone should enjoy, it does contain some dark elements. Billy Batson um, is a foster kid. His mother you know, he thinks his mother like lost him. They were at a carnival and they got separated. And, you know, he, Billy grew up, you know, the last few years in foster care, believing that, okay, I've got to get back to my mum. I've got to get back to my mum. And he finds out at that kind of turning point into the third act of the film that she abandoned him. She left him on purpose and your heart just breaks for Billy as he as he goes through this, as he realizes this. And yeah, Asher Angel gives a very moving performance in these dramatic moments. I really, really also enjoyed Jack Dylan Grazer as Freddie Freeman. Holy cow, this kid is just so good and he's so funny. His comedic timing is exceptional. Uh, if you'd seen him in anything else, you would have seen him in It Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. He was Eddie Kasparak in that and just, yeah. The humour on this kid is just, yeah, I I adore, absolutely adore. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him pop up in more films over the years. As long as he he keeps doing comedy because I just, he's hysterical. Freddie Freeman, to me is the standout of this film. Like he has all the best lines. He's such a good friend, uh such a good foster brother to Billy and their relationship, their friendship that blossoms throughout the film is just wonderful to watch. Absolutely lovely and charming and, you know, even when they're fighting, mostly they get along, but you know, those scenes where there's a bit of tension, it's still you know, the the they pull it off really well and then especially with Jack and Zachary, or Jack and Zack I should say. Jack and Zack you know, their their chemistry, the way they bounce off each other with their delivery of their lines, I, I really, really enjoy. They make a great duo. Uh, yeah, it's so much fun. Mark Strong plays the villain in this film. He's Dr. Savannah. And... I oh, I love Mark Strong. I mean, he can't really do anything wrong. He does kind of chew the scenery in this film quite a bit, but it's totally fine because it's a family superhero film and that's what the villains do. They chew the scenery. One of my favorite moments in this film, probably is my favorite moment in the whole film, because when I saw it in the cinema, I was dying of laughter. There's a scene in the final act where Uh, Shazam and Dr. Savannah are fighting each other they're in the middle of the sky and it's you know one of these epic moments of like you know the battles kind of just paused for a second and they're collecting themselves and then Savannah starts monologuing and you know he's giving this epic kind of speech about how I'm going to defeat you, I'm going to crush you, I'm going to kill your friends, I'm going to kill your family like he's doing this you know cliched typical uh, villainous monologue. Meanwhile he doesn't realize that Shazam can't hear him, that Billy can't hear anything he's saying. So the camera cuts back and forth between Billy and uh, Savannah as Savannah's monologuing. And it goes from, you know, the evil talk to just Zachary Levi delivering these looks of confused and befuddlement. And, and he's, and he's just like, sorry, what? I didn't hear you. I, say that again can you can you speak up like just little things like that and i just the delivery is perfect and it's it's it was such a great way to cut the tension of the of the moment you know because these fight scenes in these films even for a family orientated film can get a bit intense and you know you need to do something to kind of ease the tension and um let the audience exhale for a moment and this was probably the best example of that i think i've ever seen I cried. I like the of laughter. I was oh it was so good. Uh but yes. So Shazam is definitely yeah, definitely worth checking out please. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh my number eight film for 2019. And speaking of Shazam, or should I say Captain Marvel, considering Captain Marvel was Shazam's original name, my next film on my list, my number seven pick for 2019 is Captain Marvel. Holy cow, finally, Marvel Studios, the MCU has given us a superhero film led by a woman, the first one in the MCU, and... It did not disappoint for me at all. I was very, very pleased with the outcome of this movie. Brie Larson has become one of my favorite actresses in recent years. Every time I watch her in something, she just, she, she becomes these characters. She embodies them fully she gives her all and she's just a natural at it. And for someone so young, like she's still in her twenties. Um, she's just, she's just exceptional to watch. Absolutely exceptional. So I the fact that they cast her in this role is just perfect for me and she suits it so well. Yeah, my goodness. <laughs> Carol Danvers' story is such an interesting one. She's, you know, or veers, I should say, because when we meet her at the start of the film, she doesn't have any of her memories from when she was on Earth. So the move the movie kind of does this really cool job as like the s- the the scrolls, the bad guys, or who we think are the bad guys, are trying to find like trying to get into these as memories to try and find out what she knows about this you know power source that the scrolls are looking for and through that we're getting glimpses of carol's human life before she ended up uh as a as a Cree warrior and it's it's i really love the way they did those flashbacks they like because you know most a lot of films have flashbacks it's very it's a very very common use of storytelling flashbacks but i just really enjoyed the way that they did that use it using like the scrolls using the technology on their spaceship to actually get inside her head and reverse and play it was like it's like you were watch you know it was like a DVD player almost and you're like rewinding and you're pausing and you're playing and it was just yeah I was very very impressed and then she was also kind of in she was living the memories as they were rewatching them i just yeah i thought that was absolutely fascinating so this this film is also just about her journey to coming back to being Carol. You know, she spent the last few years of her life uh, on on the Cree homeworld and just being fed this lie by the supreme intelligence. The Cree are billed as the good guys of this film. They're fighting this war against the Skrulls and they're convincing their people that they're, you know, in it for the right thing and that the Skrulls are the enemy, the Skrulls are evil and they, you know, because they can copy you, they can become you. Uh, they just need to get some of your DNA, touch you and you know, on you know, on your shoulder and boom, they have they can copy your DNA and become you and wipe you out. And so that's obviously very threatening, but like a lot of things in life, people just seem to be scared or threatened by things that they don't necessarily understand because it turns out the scrolls are actually the good guys and one of the best subversions of expectations in the MCU, um, after of course the big one, Hydra being shield, um, uh, this the fact that the scrolls that are notorious for being bad guys in the comics are actually good guys in the MCU. I just I freaking adored that, and it makes sense because we've seen the Kree in the MCU being being bad guys, like Ronan the Accuser. He's a Kree extremist. You know, he was fighting for what he believed in for his people, and he, he pops up in this movie because, of course, it's a it's a prequel sort of film, set in the nineties. So Ronan is still alive; he hasn't died yet in Guardians One. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's just so it's just so clever. It's so wonderfully written. Uh, it was such a joy to see a young Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury before he becomes the the jaded. Uh, director with the eye patch that we all know and love. He was just this kind of almost fresh fresh face agent uh, of S.H.I.E.L.D. hadn't really seen much field time yet hadn't really been exposed to anything otherworldly and, and Carol is his first exposure to that to aliens to to life other than on this earth and they nailed the de-aging technology. He literally looks like exactly the same that he did in Jurassic Park in 1993. Just perfect. And this film is set in 1995, so it's it's so impressive. You don't notice. This is the best. When I talk about de-aging to anybody, I always refer to this because this is the most seamless de-aging technology that's been done. However, they, I think they spent all the money on making Samuel L. Jackson look good and not as much on Phil Coulson. Clark Gregg is in this as well. He's also a young agent and, um, he, he gets de-aged, but it's, there's a couple of scenes where it's a little, not uncanny valley, but just a little noticeable, but it's still very impressive. Like he still looks young. I mean, he's got more hair and, Yeah, I just, yeah. And it was really nice to see him in the MCU because this is the first time, you know, for those who don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and if you don't, you're silly because it's an incredible show. Uh, For those who don't watch that, you know they have no one's seen Coulson in the MCU on on the big screen since Avengers when Loki killed him so that was such a big deal as well there is so much to love about this film as well the music is perfect featuring artists like Garbage like Hole Nirvana like so many cool 90s you know rock rock bands and it's just the fits the aesthetic it fits everything my favorite thing in the film though of course I'd have to say is Goose the cat, because Goose is just everything. <laughs> oh my god. I, I, the moment I remember in the cinema, just watching the moment where he just, he reveals what he is to everyone for the first time. And oh. yeah, it's just, it's just perfect. Yeah, love Goose. I really hope we get to see more of him in Captain Marvel 2. That would be Excellent. One last thing I wanted to say on Captain Marvel before I move on is just, I really enjoyed the way it connected itself to the MCU. So not like, not just for the Kree and the Skrull kind of stuff, but I'm mainly talking about, this is how you really kind of do a backdoor sequel, backdoor prequel, like putting, inserting her into the already existing timeline at the end of the film we find out that her call sign carol danvers call sign is avenger nick fury creates the avengers initiative and names it after carol danvers because she was the first one um because he was trying to think of a good name for you know preparing for the the day when obviously more aliens are going to show up and we need heroes we need people to help it started with carol danvers and her being Avenger and then the Avengers initiative it's just yeah it's poetic it's beautiful it's I love it so much so there it is everybody that is my seventh film on my list of my favorite films for 2019 my number seven Captain Marvel okay so moving on to my sixth film my number six in my top 10 of 2019 is The epic Star Wars Episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. I have now seen this film three times since it came out at the end of 2019. And I just got to say, it's such a great ending to this Skywalker saga, to this epic story that began in 1977. Like, it's just... For me it's it's a very it's a very well made full circle of the the Skywalker story you know yes it's definitely has some flaws if you want to I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritties of you know things that don't work for Rise of Skywalker because for the most part for me they do work and I and I love I love what they did and I love the story they told and the th- what they had to work with the way they made it work in terms of you know J.J. J. Abrams coming back in terms of Carrie Fisher no longer being with us they made everything work for them to a mostly in pretty much entirely cohesive film that flows well and yes it's fast at the start but I don't really mind because <laughs> it's just you're just there and you're enjoying it you know, I, I just, I absolutely adore it. The fact that they bring back Emperor Palpatine and it turns out he was behind everything all along, which is just, it just makes so much sense because Palpatine was the Phantom Menace. He was the the master pulling the strings, the puppet master pulling the strings of the prequel trilogy, the 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 original trilogy, and the sequel trilogy. He is the big big bad. He is the Thanos of the Star Wars universe, which is appropriate considering we literally had an Avengers End Game reference uh, right at the end of rise of skywalker um but i won't say what it is but for those who have seen both movies will probably be able to guess what i'm talking about daisy ridley as ray is just just beautiful she's such a talented actress and ray is such an incredible character and I, you know, had my doubts about her being a Mary Sue because of, you know, we didn't know where she came from. But in this film, you find out exactly her origin and why she's as powerful as she is and why she is, she's as, you know, uh, why she's a natural with the force the way she is. So, yeah, I really loved what they did. The choices they made with Rey, who they made her be. Yeah, is just fantastic and makes so much sense and it also helps to really drive home (laughs) pun intended um (laughs) uh, the connection between um adam driver's uh, kylo ren slash ben solo and you know it just it just yeah it's it's beautiful it's it's poetic it's it's i couldn't have written it no one could have written it better for my money i just think it's It just makes sense. It really just makes sense and I I adore it so much. Poe Dameron and Finn are, you know, in this a bit more together, like we get more of the trio kind of vibe in this, the three of them with Ray. And yeah. I really Oscar Isaac's performance, he's just excellent. An excellent Poe. He is just everything that embodies the traditional kind of classic hero and I, I just love the way he delivers his lines that just and how funny he is. He gets to be funny in this film. And so does C three PO. Anthony Daniels, this is his last appearance as C three PO, most likely, and the fact that he gets he gets so much screen time in this and he's this he's you know, he's the comedic relief, which he usually is, but he's actually genuinely funny. A lot of the 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 humor in this film comes from him and it's it's not just oh it's not like oh 3PO shut up kind of stuff it's like legit hilarious he is excellent there's so much good about this you know what they did with Carrie with with Leia was better than I expected and they handled it so well and so respectfully yeah it's it's there's only like one or two moments when you it's obvious that she's not really there but it's but everything else flows pretty well. Very very impressive JJ J. Abrams did an incredible job putting this together. Seeing seeing Ian McDiarmid return as Emperor Palpatine was just excellent as is seeing Lando Calrissian come back Billy D Williams himself just yeah. Yeah, everybody like all this entire cast is just excellent and Kerry Russell playing Zori Bliss I love that outfit. She's just, she's the coolest. I love, I love her character. I would really like to see her get her own Disney plus show, but we all know who is getting her own Disney plus show. And that would be Jenna, Naomi Aki's character, former stormtrooper turned, turned resistance fighter. Definitely. She is. Yeah. She's definitely going to be getting her own show. And they still haven't announced it. It's obvious guys. Don't, don't, don't delay. Just let us know. Um, <laughs> and the connection between Ray and between Kylo is one of the best things. This probably actually is the best thing the sequel trilogy has done. And I adore Adam Driver's performance. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I mean. He's just brilliant. Also, freaking Mark Hamill <laughs> is in this. It's great. It's so good. Harrison Ford is in this. It's just everybody's back. And it's just a wonderful farewell to the Skywalker saga. So that's my number six entry, Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars, Episode 9. Moving on, number five, The Farewell. This was a film that I was just... I I was looking forward to seeing, but I had no idea it was going to affect me so much. And it was going to be this good. Awkwafina is a phenomenal actress. She is just... Stunning, and for someone from a comedic background to just nail the, you know, the pathos and just the you feel for her so much. The story of the farewell is just it's it's simple yet complicated. It's it's a family story that you know most of us are familiar with. You know the the matriarch is dying, but you know in in part of a part of asp- an aspect of Chinese tradition and culture is apparently that they don't like to tell the the matriarch or the patriarch, you know, the the grandparents if they're going to be dying like, you know, because she has cancer. Um so they basically the family decides to so everyone can kind of come together for one last time to see her and say farewell. They basically f- kind of force one of the cousins to get married to this Japanese woman who's you know he he'd only recently started dating and now they're getting married and so there's you know bring the family together for that reason as an excuse just to say goodbye to nene the wonderful grandmother she's just beautiful, played by uh Shuzen Zhao. she is yeah absolutely lovely. The film is a mix of Chinese and English. It's that's a it's a really interesting collision of East meets West, in terms of the two cultures. Because Aquafina's character Billy, she is you know living in New York. She kind of, after her family moved, you know her mum and dad left China and, and settled in New York. You know she she grew up as an American Chinese American, so very much a Western kind of influence, and so she's returning back to this. Chinese, very traditional, very, you know, very different way of life that she doesn't really fully understand why. So she's kind of struggling with the fact, the whole film that she just wants to tell Nene, she's that she's dying and that, you know, she wants to actually just say goodbye properly, you know, instead of having to pretend the whole time. And it's, to see her struggle with that is just, I mean, we've all lost people we love and knowing that you're going to lose this person and the person doesn't know it's just yeah it really makes you feel so many emotions but the way that they fuse that that sadness with the comedy because it's there's a lot of humor to this film as well just this the family antics and the way they all are each family member kind of has their own kind of personality that crops up during the film But I mean, the main thing does come down to Nene and Billy's relationship because you know Billy's kind of the favourite granddaughter, and yeah, it's just you will cry. I cried so much at the end of this film. I cried. For a long time. (laughs) But it is brilliant. And again, Aquafina definitely deserving of her Golden Globe win. So that's The Farewell, my number five pick for 2019. Moving forward to number four. And we have Spider-Man Far From Home. The, well, third released MCU film of 2019, but my second favorite. I still have to make the joke, the fact that I was Far From Home when I saw Far From Home the first time. I was in, um, I was in... well, in San Francisco at the time when the movie came out, and went and saw it with a couple of my friends who live in San Jose, and uh, had a really great time experiencing American cinema, which is not really that different from you know anywhere around the world. Univ- cinema is very much universal, but it was brilliant nonetheless. Uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home is the epilogue of the Infinity Saga. It is the what happens next it's the what happens after avengers endgame and you know massive spoilers for avengers endgame maybe i don't know maybe i won't spoil it maybe i shouldn't spoil it there's just a lot of a lot of emotion <laughs> going into this yeah so certain events of certain things that happened in avengers endgame directly affect these events in far from home and uh, and I, I, I'm just going to spoil it. I can't talk about Far From Home and not spoil it. Plus, the entire internet basically knows. But if you are, uh, if you don't know, if you haven't seen End Game, or if you've, you know, actively avoided spoilers, then just skip ahead uh, a couple of minutes while I talk about this. Because basically, this movie is Peter Parker dealing with the fact that he's lost his mentor, Tony Stark dies at the end of avengers endgame and it is very 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 sad (laughs) and so this is an epilogue that deals with what life is like without tony stark especially because of the relationship tony and peter had in the mcu he's lost his surrogate father essentially and on top of that he Was you know he wanted to be he wanted to be like Iron Man he wanted to be that kind of hero you know that inspires people and leads people and saves people you know which Spider Man is but you know he just he was he Peter finds himself very lost and wanting to kind of hang up the the suit basically at the start of the film but him and uh, all his high school classmates and I'm guessing it's a science class they get dragged across the pond to europe um for this awesome europe school trip like holy crap and then these elemental beings start attacking and someone by the name of well doesn't we don't we don't he gets named mysterio but quinton beck um played excellently by Jake gyllenhaal he pretends to save the day, pretends to be a good guy, and then you find out that he's actually uh, a former Stark Industries employee that used to work with Tony Stark, and Tony Stark stole his BAF technology, which is you know the the kind of kind of interesting VR therapy session that we see Tony Stark giving in at the start of Civil War. So Quentin Beck gets kind of inserted into Civil War in uh, in a way. Just to kind of make the backstory kind of connect, and it and it does, and it makes sense that he's a he's a disgruntled Stark employee, and he just wants to bring Tony Stark down, especially now that he's dead, and yeah, and just kind of find some glory for himself. And it's it's so wonderful that he he uses his technology to create these make everyone think that they're seeing these beings and he can make himself the hero and he convinces everyone for most of the film and then you know peter finds out and and then yeah and meanwhile nick fury is trying to convince peter to join shield um as an avenger to help stop these elementals before they realize what's actually going on and then peter's trying to deal with the fact that he is trying to tell MJ how he feels about her throughout the whole film and there's an excellent kind of love triangle of sorts between uh them and this other student the way they deal with the fallout of the decimation they call it the blip (laughs) it's so good and it's so funny I mean yes it does kind of create Issues in ways, but I think it works. Uh, it fits the tone of Far From Home, what they did with the blip and everybody coming back post a blip. So, yes. But I guess the main thing from Far From Home is just where it leaves the MCU. J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons himself appears at the end of the film and, big spoilers, <laughs> uh, basically just reveals that uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man and uh, not only that, Mysterio, who ends up dying, not not exactly killed by Peter Parker, but kind of as a means of self-defense at the end of the film, but Mysterio uh, uses his dying breath, basically, to frame Peter Parker for his murder. And then everyone finds out that Spider-Man's Peter Parker and shit just hits the fan. It's an excellent Spider-Man film. I think I enjoyed Homecoming more, but Far From Home is quite enjoyable. And it, Tom Holland Spider-Man is just, again, one of the best additions to the MCU in terms of casting. He is fantastic to watch. And there are so many emotions in this film. Just the entire Iron Man thing is just... It's a shadow that hangs over the film, but in a good way and not in an overbearing way. And, you know, the connections to... Iron Man just yeah it's just wonderful and John Favreau as Happy Hogan in this film is also excellent. So there's a lot to love in Spider-Man Far From Home. I cannot wait to see where the MCU goes next. All right, my number 3 film, number 3, getting down to the nitty-gritty of the list, and uh, number 3 is Marriage Story. Holy cow. Uh this was a film that kind of came out of left field for me. I was not expecting this to be as good as was um i knew people were raving about it online and there were some mixed opinions but mostly positive like incredibly positive ones uh, especially cuz it received so many golden globe nominations and has now subsequently received i think 6 6 oscar nominations which is very impressive but marriage story just blew me away from start to finish from the opening scene i was hooked to this film <laughs> oh my god yeah i i'm still kind of you know in its warm glow basically but i i don't care i really i really love it it's honestly yeah, the, the third best film i've seen my third favorite film of 2019 so basically charlie uh played by adam driver he's kind of this he's the he's a direct he's a theater director he runs his own theater company And he's married to this actress named Nicole, played by Scarlett Johansson, and she was kind of this up-and-coming star in Hollywood and film. You know, she made uh, a a few big films and then kind of after she met Charlie, she ended up leaving Los Angeles uh, and moving to to New York with him, um, getting together and doing theater together and then being married for so many years. They have a son named Henry who is played by Azzy Robertson, and he is really, really wonderful as well. However, they are divorcing. We find them in their story where things are falling apart, and it's so... The film does such a beautiful job of hooking you in because the film opens with both Charlie and Nicole having written these letters to each other that talk about exactly how much... The other person means to them and why they love them, why they fell in love with them, everything about them that they know. And it's they say things that only someone you're in love with would say about that person. And it's just, I was so captivated and drawn in. I'm like, oh my God, they're so wonderful and they both love each other so much. And then when we just do this hard cut to reality where they're in counseling. And preparing for this divorce, and everything starts falling apart, and it's like, oh my god! Like they real, like Noah Baumbach, who directed this and wrote this, did such a great job of hooking you in. And for me, I re I really like them, and you're re- you're rooting for them because you're like, oh my god, how can they be getting divorced? They clearly love each other so much. But then over the course of the film, you find out why they can't be together and why they're bad for each other, and. But it's just done so well. The performances are just astonishing. Both Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson have been nominated for Best Actor and Best Actress respectively for their roles here as Charlie and Nicole and they deserve those nominations so much. I don't think either of them will win but my goodness, (sighs) like tough competition the script in this film is so tight, and it's probably my favorite thing about the entire film, as maybe aside from the performances is just the script I adore this script it is it's very dialogue heavy, but it's the way it's done oh, it's yeah, it just knocks your socks off. Laura Dern is also fantastic as lawyer Nora fanshawe um she's Nicole's lawyer charlie is represented by bert spitz who is played fantastically by alan alder a very quirky kind of uh, older lawyer and he's he's a lot of fun but then he also is ends up being represented by uh jay marauder who was played by ray Liotta, and ray Liotta is great in everything he does as well so yeah there's a really really strong cast in this film um and I just, I love it so much. And I cried so much. There is a scene where Adam Driver's character sings this epic Broadway song in a bar. There's like a bar in Broadway in New York where, you know, all the theater people go. And you can get up and sing any song or whatever. And he gets up and he sings. And you just, I was tears are rolling down my face just watching his performance watching him sing this song that was relating to what he was going through in terms of his marriage being over his divorce being over but my heart breaks for both of these characters I didn't want them to suffer and both of them suffer in this film and it's very hard to watch but it's just so mesmerizing and wonderful oh my goodness um yeah one of the best films I've seen I've seen in a long time and I just Oh, I love it so much. I really do. Marriage Story, my number three film for 2019. Okay, number two. Number two. Well, I, this is the film I knew it was my number two as soon as I walked out of seeing it. And that is Joker. <laughs> the best DC film since The Dark Knight. Um, coincidentally, also featuring the Joker. And Joaquin Phoenix is just next level in this as Arthur Flick. This is a, this is an origin story for a supervillain that we've never seen before. And, you know, the Joker is someone who doesn't have an origin. You know, he says he prefers his origin story to be multiple choice. You know, he doesn't, no one ever knows who he is. He's an enigma. He's just mysterious. And that's just the way he works. But They give Joker a backstory that works for him and works for the world, the the this version of Gotham that they're bringing, which is dark and gritty, and you know Joker is represents anti-establishment. You know he's this he's this guy who has this condition where he he's laughing uncontrollably, he can't help himself, you know, but he just wants to make people smile and he wants to make people happy, like he's a performer, he's a clown he wants to be a stand-up comedian you know he tries everything he just wants to make people happy that's all he wants to do but people society and people just turn on him one after the other and keep telling him he can't do that keep telling him he's because he's weird because he's different he's other than they are he doesn't fit and therefore cannot have success cannot be what he wants to be society is stopping Arthur Fleck from achieving his dreams And because he's had the upbringing he's had, his mother is just out of her gourd and he's on medication, but he's, you know, the system fails him because, you know, the government cuts funding. So therefore he, he ends up not getting the proper treatment he needs for his mental condition. So it's such a fascinating study on mental health as well. That's just, it's a descent into madness. And the way Todd Phillips... A man who directs comedies. Like again, I've been saying it a lot recently is the these these artists that do comedy, they just nail the horror, they nail the drama like no one else. And I'm I'm so impressed. But the way Todd Phillips blends the reality of what's actually happening and then Arthur's fantasy is seamless and effortless and when the film's done you you just find yourself wondering did any of this actually happen like i compared it to american psycho and the fact that at the end of a, of that film patrick bateman is confessing to all these crimes to his lawyer and his lawyer is basically saying all right yeah sure s- sure patrick you're you're crazy i don't know what you're talking about none of this has happened this guy's fine no this person is not dead blah 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 and there are scenes like that in, in Joker where you're just... There's a beautiful twist with Zazie Beat's character, who's one of his neighbours in his apartment block, that I didn't see coming, and it was just so perfect. Uh, everything about Joker is wonderfully and perfectly executed. It is, for me, a flawless film. It is exceptional and is one of the greatest films-inspired films inspired by, uh comic books ever made hands down absolutely outstanding and Joaquin is going to win that Oscar I'm calling it now it was the first thing I said when I walked out of the cinema apart from the fact that it was going to be my number two film for 2019 was uh, just give him the award now because that is one of the greatest performances of recent memory and The fact that it's completely different to Heath Ledger's Joker and the fact that both of them were so brilliant in their respective versions of that character. (sighs) Yeah, just the quality is just beyond anything we could have dreamt. I did not expect Joker to be as good as it was and I'm so happy it was that good my goodness. Okay, so that's my number two. I'm going to move into honorable mentions now, starting with Always Be My Maybe. And I'm just going to say, can Keanu slow-mo walk into my life, please? (laughs) Oh, that movie was so much fun. One of my favorite rom-coms I've seen in forever. And uh, I've seen it more than once and I loved it. Ali Wong and Randall Park are incredible, and beautiful, and funny, and I hope they make more movies together. Uh, Second honorable mention is The Dead Don't Die. Hey, Jim Jarmusch, give Zelda Winston the Alien her own movie, like now, (laughs) because that shit was straight up crazy, and just made no sense. This is a zombie movie like I've never seen before, and I loved it so much. It's so funny. It's so weird. It's so Jim Jarmish, And it's a film that must be experienced to be believed. And I, I just, oh, it's just excellent. The dead don't die. My third honorable mention is Midsommar, one of the best horror films of 2019. Easily, my favorite. I bet this was Sweden's revenge for all the Swedish chef jokes over the last 40 years. <laughs> because, man, oh, this is crazy. This movie is crazy. This movie is on something. Ari Aster is on something. <laughs> the, you know, he directed Hereditary, he wrote Hereditary, and that was bonkers. And you get Midsommar, and it's even more bonkers. And just... <sighs> Takes your breath away, but it's a beautiful horror. It's a beautiful horror film, that's for sure. Uh, my fourth honorable mention is Parasite. Simply mind-blowing. Nuff said. Oh my goodness. This is this is swept award season, unsurprisingly, but this story of um, the lower-class Kim family finding ways to infiltrate this upper-class Park family in Korea is just again not what I expected at all and the left turn it does right near the end of the film and just becomes this different beast of itself is just spectacular and must be witnessed by as many people as possible my last honourable mention is Judy Oh man, what Rami Malek did with Freddie Mercury, Renee Zellweger does with Judy Garland, and that is not an understatement, overstatement at all, it is is what it is, she is beautiful and perfection in this, as the late and legendary Judy Garland, oh my god, if you're gonna watch that movie, watch it for her performance alone, because she's just, yeah, hmm. <laughs> she's just spellbinding, absolutely spellbinding. Okay, so that means it's now time for my number one film of 2019, and that is Avengers Endgame, because as if it was going to be anything else, oh my god, this was the pinnacle, the, the end, the climax, the Big epic conclusion to the Infinity Saga to 11 years of storytelling from Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige, my lord and savior. Oh my god. Yeah. Yep. The perfect follow-up to Avengers Infinity War, which was, again, brilliant. Um, My favorite film of 2018 as well. Um, But Avengers Endgame is just the fact that (laughs) they found a way to complete this story That worked, but also, you know, it also, they found a way to to simultaneously call back to every kind of great moment over the last 11 years of movies. And the fact that they made them work together, it's just, yeah, it's just perfection. It really, really is. I'm saying perfection a lot. Perfection, a lot of people don't think it exists, but for me, it just kind of does. Like, when it doesn't get any better than this, I think that's perfect. What a excellent farewell to Tony Stark, to Natasha Romanoff, to Steve Rogers. Giving these three Avengers some poetic and fantastic moments and ways to say goodbye was just excellent uh, beyond i didn't think it would i didn't think you know i had a feeling we were gonna you know see one or two of them go but to see three of them go and you know there are so many tears but there's also so much joy and there's so much just so many emotions involved in these characters especially you know especially with tony stark robert danny jr is just beyond uh, everything he he gives everything to Tony Stark, he puts his all into this character, and it's just remarkable he is the foundation of this universe, and it's going to be so so strange going forward without him. but what a legacy he leaves behind, and seeing him he get you know we get a time jump and we get to see him be happy. He's married to Pepper, he's got a daughter named Morgan who is just wonderful, and we love her three thousand. Oh, it's just excellent. Steve Rogers gets, you know, so many great moments in this film. My favorite moment of the entire film is seeing Captain America wield Mjolnir. It's so, so wonderful and fantastic. Just a moment I didn't expect, didn't didn't know. A callback to Age of Ultron from just one tiny scene, you know, Funny, One of the, my favorite scenes in, in Age of Ultron where they're all trying to lift Mjolnir and, and Cap almost lifts it up and, and Thor is concerned. <laughs> but then in this movie, as soon as he sees Cap um, with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hammer in tow, he's just like, I knew it. And so did we all. And it was such a great payoff. Absolutely. Just like on your left referencing Winter Soldier was such a great payoff. And having everybody come through the portals just when we think all hope is lost. And all the characters that were killed in the previous film come back to life and come back. They are the cavalry. They are the Avengers assembled. And to hear Steve Rogers say Avengers assemble and then the charge. One of the most incredible moments of cinema, of blockbuster cinema, of superhero films ever. Period. That's it that is it. And the music swelling Alan Silvestri's score is just, whoa, superb on another level. they just the way everything works in Avengers Endgame, and it works so well. The drama, the humor, everything, the callbacks, the time, all the time travel. Seeing Scott Lang, you know, be so involved with the Avengers, seeing Ant-Man be a pivotal part. He is responsible for this film you know the fact that he gets out of the quantum realm just by pure chance thanks rat um and and then he ends up you know helping to create time travel it's just it's so good loki's getting loki's alive technically you know he's in an alternate timeline with the tesseract and you know that's the setup for his series that's so good just uh, yeah And then the Hail Hydra thing with Captain America in the lift or callback to Winter Soldier in the middle of a callback to Avengers 1 is just it's it's so good. Marcus and McFeely, the two screenwriters, along with the Russo brothers, just have blessed us truly um, with this film. It's going to be a long time before we see anything this good again from this franchise. And that's fine because we can wait. We waited 11 years for the first big payoff. We're going to wait a little bit longer um, for the next payoff, but it'll be worth it because if it's anything as good as this was, then holy crap, we're in for an exceptional ride ahead, and I cannot wait. But Avengers Endgame, ladies and gentlemen, my favorite film, my number one favorite film of 2019. There it is. Okay, we've reached the end. That's it. That's all I've got to say. I hope you enjoyed my little ramblings about uh, about my favourite films of twenty nineteen, collectible chaos in podcast form. Thank you for listening so much, and I hope this has brought you some joy and some knowledge and some laughs and I don't know. I hope you've I hope you've had a good time listening to me talk quite hopefully enthusiastically about my favorite films of 2019 because boy there were some good ones and i had a lot to say so if you haven't seen the video yet please feel free go check it out right now uh on youtube you can also find me on as i said at the top of the show podcast called fred and the monthly at winifreds thank you guys so much for listening i've been a kendall richardson and you just experienced collectible chaos